You there? Seeds. Did they sound happy? They should. Right? These are the ideal conditions for seeds. Uh, they will never be threatened by drought or cold or squirrels or birds. Uh, they can be seeds forever. Some of the longest living seeds we have that are still viable, 31,500 years old. Yeah, they could still grow into something. But they've been seeds basically forever. Which is not actually the point of seeds. Would you turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 12? We're going to be at John 12, verse 20. And you actually need a, a Bible, book, or device, because um, we want you to get in the habit of opening one of these. And if you ever need a Bible, um, just let me know. John 12, verse 20. Now, among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it. And those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. <coughs> Me too. How about you? Yep. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. I think that's actually why we come to church on Sundays and why we bother reading our Bibles and why we use the word Christian sometimes to describe ourselves. We want to see Jesus. And these are words that if you were reading the Bible all by yourself, you probably would have skipped past. They don't seem like the point of the story. But they're words that are worth focusing on. I have a lot of friends in ministry kind of scattered all over the place. And every now and again, I get invited to speak in ministries, which is fun and always an honor. And there's this weird commonality across all sorts of them. Um, it's not everywhere, but it's in many ministries, regardless of how big or how small they are. Uh, there's this graffiti that I see in a lot of different places. Uh, sometimes it's on somebody's arm in a tattoo or a pink sticky note on somebody's desk or scratched into a pulpit, uh, the thing that people put their Bible and their notes in sometimes. And it's always the same words. It's John 12, 21. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. It's a reminder for friends of mine and for anybody who walks into their space that nobody really cares what a pastor has to say. Nobody really cares about our advice or our wisdom or our great ideas. All people really want to see, Jesus. And that's a really good reminder. And for those of you who are not paid to be in ministry, you are still in ministry. And I can tell you this, 
People want to see Jesus. The barista at the coffee shop, your friend who has the conspiracy theories about 401ks and Wall Street, <laughs> the girl you know who's trying to figure out what it's like to be a parent, the, the neighbor who's struggling with being single right now, those people, what they really want to see is Jesus. What's a seed for? What's a Christian for? Sir, we wish to see Jesus. It's our purpose. And the disciples in the story appear to have kind of forgotten that a little bit. Um, these Greeks show up in verse 20. And Greek does not necessarily mean they're from Greece. Um, it means that they speak Greek. It means they probably don't speak Hebrew, and they're probably not Jewish. And they go to Philip because his name is a Greek name, and he probably speaks Greek because of where he's from, and they're hoping to chat with him. But these guys who show up, they seem to think that they need a backstage pass to talk to Jesus, which really doesn't sound like Jesus. Right? And the disciples respond to this by agreeing, right? By kind of, oh, well, yeah, I'm not so sure that you should get to see Jesus. Maybe we should talk about this. And so Philip goes to Andrew, and they kind of discuss things. And eventually they do go to Jesus. And Jesus responds to them, and I assume to the Greeks, by giving a weird little sermon about glory that doesn't sound like glory and what happens to seeds when they die and about what to hate and what to love. And through it all, he's talking about purpose, your purpose and mine, and his purpose. What's a Christian for? What's our purpose? Hmm. All who want to save their lives will lose them. It says that elsewhere in the Gospels but all who love their lives. That's what he says here. All who love their lives will lose them, and all who hate their lives will keep them. Now, what does that mean? Is Jesus saying that what you need to do is become the kind of person who's just miserable and depressed and really just self-loathing all the time? No, right? There are Christians who are like that, who seem to be particularly miserable people because they follow Jesus. And that is not what it's like to follow Jesus. That is not at all what Jesus is talking about here in this passage of Scripture. He's saying there's a kind of life that's particularly self-absorbed, and I want you to avoid that. But we have this way of, of figuring out our lives that kind of involves Jesus. Um, the disciples, I think, when they, they hear Jesus start talking, in, in verse 23 in particular, they probably hear that word glory, and they get really excited because um, glory sounds good. And you and I, we don't use the word glory because that sounds self-absorbed and narcissistic. And we're not looking for glory in the world. You know, we just, just kind of want you know, happiness or to kind of arrive a little bit. Now, this story happens right after Jesus walks into Jerusalem or rather rides in on a donkey and people are shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name. They're throwing their coats in the road. They're saying, hail, King of Israel. And the disciples are watching this and thinking, yep, we got in on the ground floor of this. We bought Apple at $1 a share. We are geniuses. It has happened. We have arrived. And Jesus says, it is time for the Son of Man to be glorified. And they go, amen, Lord, I am with you. Where are we going? Where is my seat in the kingdom? This sounds really, really good. And then Jesus starts talking about death and dying and hating your life and losing it. And it's just, it must be just a terrible, confusing thing, which is often what happens when you listen to Jesus. You and I, we, we like the idea of glory. We, it's one of the reasons I think, actually, we're interested in Jesus, because we, we really want, not to be, you know, 
the most important person in the world, or even to climb the ladder to the very top. Some of us have that kind of ambition, but most of us really just, you want to climb just high enough, right? Not, not so high that you're insecure and you don't know what you're doing and you're confused and scared all the time, but high enough, right, that you're not looking up and thinking, I could do this better than you. I just, you're an idiot, and I just, I wish that I had that kind of recognition and that power. I would know what to do with it. And we look at our lives and we think, you know, I just, I want my family to, to work. I just, like, you know, like gears that turn together really smoothly, like clockwork. That's, that's what I'm looking for for my family. And I, I want enough money, not too much money, just enough money. Enough that we're not scraping by, that we're not living paycheck to paycheck, that we just, that we feel comfortable and that things are good. And I just, I want happiness and I want comfort and nothing too crazy. I just, I want a good life. And when it comes to Jesus, we go, yeah, man, if you could help me with that, because I'm coming broken and I'm coming lost and I'm coming confused and, and I don't really know what to do. And I just, I could use a little bit of religious something in my life and I could use a little bit of that peace in my life. And yeah. And Jesus has all of those things to offer. This is incredible good news. He really does have that for us. But he's also really God. And so he has this way of hearing what we're asking for and hearing what we're looking for and then just kind of poking us and prodding us about the kind of life we really want to live. About the kind of life that really leads to life. About the way things really work. About who we're built to be. Because underneath it all, right, he made us. And he made us for a purpose. He made us for a reason each and every one of you, for a very particular purpose, for a very particular reason. And he wants you to find that. Not to do what it is that you think you're supposed to do, not to get stuck in some job that you've kind of fallen into along the way, but to find calling, to find meaning, to find purpose. And he has that for us. And so Jesus, in the midst of this conversation with his disciples, who really want glory, starts saying, you know, if you love your life, you're going to lose it. If you if you're looking for this kind of a thing, you're going to lose it. If you're going to white-knuckle things and try to control the way the world is going to work and try to just kind of force everything to work the way you want them to work, it's, it's just going to be anxiety-ridden and miserable and terrible, and you're not going to like it. You're going to have really miserable relationships. Things are going to fall apart around you all the time. Elsewhere in the Gospels, Jesus will say, you know, giraffes don't get ulcers, and birds don't get tension headaches, and plants don't have anxiety medication, and they've got real problems, but, you know, why worry about today? Tomorrow, I, you know, other creatures know how to trust their creator. Other creatures get it. They believe that he's designed them for a reason, that he's got them, and so they hold their lives really loosely. And Jesus shows us how to hold his life really loosely in this story. All who love their lives, they lose them. Those who hate their lives, they hang on to them. Verse 25 is, is weird in Greek. Um, the, the word life there in English sounds like the same word all the way down. So you hear the word life three times. But it's not the same word all the way down. There's um, lots of different words in Greek for life. Suche, bias, zoe. Um, and so you shouldn't lean too heavily on this. But I kind of want to show you. Um, so this is uh, verse 25 uh, in Greek. And I've kind of replaced the English word for life with the Greek word that actually pops up. And basically what Jesus is saying is there's a kind of life that's a fairly self-absorbed life. Uh, and you shouldn't lean too heavily on this because there are different Greek words uh, for life. But there's a kind of life that really puts you at the center of the universe. And you've got to hate that kind of life. Um, and those who love that kind of life, they find that not only are they not the center of the universe, um, but that very pursuit ultimately is self-defeating. But those who hate their lives, 
in this particular self-absorbed way find that they keep it for an eternal kind of life, for the kind of life that really matters. So those who love their suche will lose it. Those whoever hates their suche uh, will keep it for eternal life. Um, Zoe, the kind of life that just um, leads to life. And all the way through the Gospel of John, that last word has been this word for eternal life, the kind of life that bubbles up over and over again, life and life to the full, life and life abundantly, all over the place in the Gospel of John. This is the kind of life that Jesus is offering us, one where we're not at the center of the universe, one where we really understand our purpose. Jean Vanier, in his commentary on the Gospel of John, says this, What is this life that Jesus is referring to that we hold on to so desperately that we must lose? It's not just physical life, but life according to the values of the world. A world as empty of God as it is filled with idols. Greed for wealth, greed for power. This life refers to our psychological tendency, our desire for compulsion for success, to be loved, to be held in esteem, to be acclaimed by those in our group, to have power and control over others. But if we want to go further on our spiritual journey and grow in humility and love and openness, if we want to live eternal life now and follow the Spirit of God, we must die to our need for recognition, for admiration and power. And this sounds really hard, and it sounds really uncomfortable, but it's actually an incredibly life-giving thing. It sounds like what you're giving up is, you know, life that you want. But what you're actually giving up is life that is miserable and self-defeating. And what you're gaining is the life that you really want. It's the thing that you've been working for and trying for all along the way. And Jesus says it's, it's like seeds. Seeds, they... A grain of wheat, he says in verse 24. If it doesn't go into the ground, it's just you know a lonely seed. A, a seed all by itself, literally in Greek. But when it goes into the ground, if it dies, it'll bear fruit. All kinds of fruit. Uh, one of the things about gardening that I've found, um, and this might be my personality, but I've found it's true of gardeners in general, um, is I love seeds. Uh, I've got, I didn't used to care about seeds at all, and now I get free catalogs in the mail where I can look at different kinds of seeds. <laughs> it's a weird and crazy world I now inhabit. And those of you who are gardeners probably get this a little bit. And this box is where I keep my seeds, which really should just be, you know, an organizational tool. It should be like a brief stopping point where seeds go and then they end up in the ground. Um, but the truth is, I get really excited when this is full of seeds. It's like the best thing in the world. I like have a collector, and I have all these things in mint condition. These wonderful seeds that I can just kind of look at how many different kinds of tomatoes I could grow if I wanted to. <laughs> and then I talk to a normal person somewhere. They'll come over like, oh, that's so cool. You have four kinds of tomatoes. Are you growing them? Can I try one? Yes, I, I will grow them. I'm not just going to keep seeds in a box because that would be crazy. That would be, that would be crazy, insane behavior that I have definitely been operating under. And I, I, will, I will put those seeds in the ground, I'll put them to work, and then, yeah, we can eat some tomatoes, and then we'll get more seeds because I could actually get more seeds if I wanted them because that's the thing about fruit. It has more and more and more and more seeds. The thing about this book, it is full of seeds, it's one of the reasons we love this book. It's full of all sorts of things that God has done and God will do and God has said. It's an amazing thing. And we come back to it again and again and again. People highlight it. People underline it. People make little notes in the margins. We try to memorize it. And a lot of the time, it just kind of stays there. 
seeds tucked away somewhere inside of us. And we don't really give them room to grow, and we don't really water them, because we're a little concerned that if they take root in our lives, they might actually bear fruit, and it might really change who we are. And so we'd rather keep them kind of in, in potential, right? Seeds in a box. And I find that I do that with the Bible from time to time. I have an app, actually, on my phone that encourages me to read the Bible. And I don't know if you have the same app, but frequently it will say, hey, do you want to turn what you just read into a meme? And you can put that out on social media, and people can see this beautiful background and these verses that you just read. And I think, what a useless use of Scripture. And then there's this chunk of me that goes, but that does look really cool, and I think, this is crazy. The hope of this thing is that it would take root in my life, that I would genuinely give room to grow and to thrive. And Jesus starts talking about death, how seeds die, and that makes us very uncomfortable and nervous. And maybe you read that part and you, you get a little bit afraid. And I can tell you this, not all Christians die for their faith. In fact, the vast majority live for their faith. That's true in America, but that's even true in persecuted countries. Otherwise, there wouldn't be Christians in those countries. The vast majority of Christians don't die for their faith. They suffer for their faith. They struggle for their faith. And they look at their faith kind of like a garden where hopefully things are growing and thriving and bearing fruit. But if you really are scared to die for your faith, I think that's something worth thinking about and praying about. And maybe talking to a mentor or a pastor or a Bible study, somebody in your life who cares about why is Why is this so scary, the idea of dying for your faith? But most of us, honestly, are called to do what seeds do because they don't actually die. And this is why it's a brilliant metaphor that Jesus uses. Seeds, when they go into the ground, they don't die. They become the thing they were always meant to be. This is not what seeds are meant for. These things have incredible potential locked away inside of them. And if they get a little room and if they get a little water, you'd be amazed at what they can do. It's been my experience that most people who want to follow Jesus are like powder kegs, just waiting for a spark. Like a spring that's coiled up, just waiting to be released. Like seeds, that if you gave them a little time, if they really did get planted, something would grow and expand and it would be beautiful and huge and fruitful. That can happen in your life. That's what Jesus is saying. All who love the life they've got, they're going to lose it. But those who hate their life for a little while, find that they keep it and they get something else, something bigger and better and grander and far more fruitful than they ever could have imagined. See, you and I, we look at people like C.S. Lewis or Mother Teresa or Dr. King or Dallas Willard, remarkable, deep Christians, and the world looks at those people and we go, these people are amazing. Secular folks will say, oh my gosh, look what they did with their lives. Look at the kind of people they were. They were amazing. How did they become like this? And those people typically would just shrug their shoulders and say, well, you know, we, you know, we were following Jesus along the way. But the Christians, we look at those people too and we go, that is like an unattainable life. How could I ever be like that? How could I ever be a person? Like, what did you do? And that's ridiculous because we know exactly what all of those people would say. Well, I, I read this thing and I, I let a couple of verses take root in my life. Not the whole thing. I couldn't remember the whole thing. But a couple of, a couple of verses, I really tried to do what Jesus was talking about. And I wasn't good at it, but I got better. And you'll think, you actually, you were pretty good at it. But I, they, they just took root in my life and they started growing and, and bearing fruit. Most of those people were not professional ministers by the end of their lives. Some of those people did die. Did die because they believed so thoroughly in Jesus. Because of things that had taken root in their lives. But I think they would tell you, in fact, I'm sure they would, that it was well worth it. Seeds are meant to grow, meant to take root somewhere and to bear fruit. 
Christians are meant to grow, to take root somewhere and bear fruit. And this is not some really difficult, dangerous journey. It is in some ways, but I think we hear it, we go, oh, there's so much more I have to do, and I have to be this kind of person who's, who's really good at following Jesus, and I have to try harder, and I have to grab on tighter, and that actually sounds a lot like the life that Jesus is telling us to let go of. That's not what this looks like. Seeds, just grow. I mean, you, you start really giving these things room in your life, and you'll see stuff really start to grow in your life. It's just a natural thing. This potential already exists in you because of the grace of God, the power and the amazing grace of God. And all it needs is a little time and a little care. And you'll see it really start to bear fruit in your lives and your community and your city and among the people you love. It's amazing. People really will start to see Jesus and that's what people want to see. That's what you want to see in your life. That's what you want to see in the life of the people around you. That's what you want to see in the world that we want to see Jesus. There's a guy named um, Brant Hansen who wrote this book called Unoffendable, uh, where he's really trying to find a way to put into practice uh, just some words that Jesus says about anger. It's actually a very boring book in many ways. He keeps saying the same thing over and over again. <laughs> Traffic is like forgiveness practice. He's just trying to slowly and steadily become somebody who lets anger go because he follows Jesus. He tells the story of being invited on a mission trip to Indonesia. After a tsunami, he says, We arrived in Banda Aceh two weeks after the destruction. Indonesia had lost a mind-bending 200,000 people. We weren't welcomed by everyone. Most people love the help, sure, but I felt unwelcome when a group of Muslim separatists threatened to kill us. Unwelcome. They were opposed to Western interference at Aceh, and they didn't want us to say anything about Jesus. I just wanted to help some people. I wanted a hotel. I wanted a safer place, and I didn't want to die. I had no idea what I was getting into. We took supplies to what used to be a fishing village, but where people were just sleeping on the ground. The local imam resisted our presence, too, and this bugged me. Well, if you hate us, maybe we should leave. It's a 1,000 degrees. We've got no AC or running water or electricity, and your co-religionists are threatening to kill us. So, yeah, maybe let's just call this off. But it wasn't up to me, and I didn't have a flight back. So... I was stuck. One of the members of our group spent time working in a truck with locals, driving slowly through the devastation, in sticky humidity, picking up bodies and putting them back of a truck. It was horrific work. And the locals kept asking him, why? Why are you here? He told them it was because he worshipped Jesus. He was convinced that Jesus would be right there in the back of the truck with them. He loves them. But you are our enemy. Jesus told us to love our enemies. The imam eventually warmed up to us, and before we left, he invited our little group over to, for dinner. We sat in his home, one of the few standing in the area. He explained through an interpreter he didn't trust us at first because we were Christians. But while other aid groups would drive by, throw a box out of the car, and get pictures taken with the people in the community, our group was different. We slept on the ground. He knew we'd been threatened. He knew we weren't comfortable. He knew we didn't have to be there. But there we were, his supposed enemies, and we would not be offended. We wouldn't be alienated. We were on the ground with his people. See, they looked at these folks, and they saw Jesus. And in the course of that story, he keeps talking about how he was kind of miserable, and he didn't really like it, and he wasn't really sure what he was doing half of the time. But he was just trying to put a couple of words of Jesus into practice. Just give him room and space to grow in his life and in this particularly devastated part of the world. And people saw Jesus. And that's what people want to say. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Jesus, at the end of verse 26, is saying, look, wherever I am, my servants are going to be. 
where my servants are, that's where I'm going to be. You're going to do this, and I'm going to be there with you. You're not doing this alone. And if you're following me, you're going to be where I'm going. You're going to be doing what I'm doing. And in verse 27, he starts talking about the cross. It's just this kind of beginning. He knows where he's going, Jesus. And he says, and I'm troubled. My soul is troubled, but what am I going to say? Father, save me from this hour. I, I know why I'm here, and I know where I'm going. See, Jesus becomes this model for us. Someone who knows why he's here and knows where he's going. He heads directly to the cross, being the first seed, maybe, to go into the ground and start bearing fruit. Someone who really is willing to die because of how much he loves us. It's an incredible thing about Jesus, that he leads us as Christian disciples by being the ultimate Christian disciple. He shows us what it looks like when the kingdom of God really takes root in someone's life. Elsewhere in the Gospels, they say, you know, the kingdom of God, it's like if some of my words found good soil, they just, they grow. 30, 60, 100 times over, they just keep bearing fruit and bearing fruit and bearing fruit. It's incredible. And I heard a story this week by a guy named Brian Campbell. And he was, he was telling a story about a plane crash. On August 16th, 1987, Northwest Airlines flight 225 crashed just after taking off from the Detroit airport killing 155 people. One survived, a four-year-old from Tempe, Arizona, named Cecilia. News accounts say when rescuers found her, they did not believe she'd been on the plane. Investigators first assumed she'd been a passenger in one of the cars on the highway where the airliner had crashed, but when the passenger register was checked, there was Cecilia's name. Cecilia survived because even as the plane was falling, her mother, Paula, unbuckled her own seatbelt got down on her knees in front of her daughter, wrapped her arms and body around Cecilia, and then would not let her go. Nothing could separate that child from her parents' love. Neither tragedy nor disaster, not the fall nor the flames that followed, not height nor depth, nor life nor death. See, Jesus wraps himself around us at the cross. Very much like a seed is, is wrapped in something really powerful and strong. And he won't let us go. And Jesus, when it comes to dying, leads us there. And when it comes to living, leads us back out. He shows us exactly what it's like for people who, who hate the kind of life that the world seems to think is normal and who choose the kind of life that's meaningful and powerful. And he wraps himself around us so tightly that nothing can separate us from him. Height or depth, life or death. So when it comes to following Jesus, it's not that you and I have to work really hard and then someday he loves us. It's not that we have to grow into some plant and then he goes, okay, good job, way to go, bear fruit. He's right there with us all along the way, showing us how it's done and bearing fruit inside us and through us. Friends, the, these things are not made for this packet and these things are not made for this book and you and I are not made to live lives that are completely self-absorbed. We're called to be people who follow Jesus, who follow Jesus so well that people can see him wrapped around us every day in every way. That's what Christians are for. Would you pray with me? And Lord Jesus, we thank you for how you love us. And we praise you for the cross and the way that you've just wrapped yourself around us. And God, where we need to feel that today, I pray that you'd hold us a little tighter, that you would squeeze us and let us know that you're there. 
And Lord, for those who don't know what that's like, either because they don't know it or they have not experienced it yet, we pray, Lord, that, that they really would see Jesus, that you would show yourself to us. And that we would be the kind of people out there in the world, Lord, who are wrapped in you and who let some of the things you say take root in our lives. Little by little, Lord, and that we would see fruit because we really want to see Jesus. In your name, amen.